All right, well, if you have a Bible, I'm going to ask you to go to Luke chapter 6. Before we jump into Luke chapter 6, I want to say welcome to anyone who is visiting with us, whether you're in the room or you are online. We just want to welcome all of our visitors. Can we put our hands together and welcome our visitors today? Thank you for being here. Whether you're in the room or you're watching us on a screen somewhere, we're really grateful that you're here. Also, I want to say thank you to everyone who has continued to give. Your giving's been just incredible. God's been using you in such an awesome way, and the church is definitely moving forward in our giving. We are doing more than we've ever done before, and I want to say thank you for that. So continue to be faithful. You can give online, or after the service is over, you can give up front if you want to. And uh, man, God's using you in incredible ways to touch touch the world. We're going to go back to Luke chapter 6. We're in this idea of practice. We've been talking about putting God's word into practice. And I want to read a couple verses from Luke 6, and then I want to jump to Proverbs chapter 4. And we're going to go Proverbs 4, 20 through 27. This is what the Bible says in Luke 6. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they are like. They're like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on the rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck that house, but could not shake it because it was well built. Just look at your neighbor and say, it was well built. If you're married in the room, look at your wife and say, you are well built. What are we talking about? We just, sorry. I don't know what happened to me there. Like a brick house. No, I'm just kidding. What are, we, what are we doing? What are you doing? What are we doing right now? Get focused. All right. She's not even in the front row. I don't know what's wrong with me right now. All right, let's go to Proverbs 4. Proverbs 4, I'm going to start in verse 20. I'm going to read from the NIV version of the Bible. Proverbs 4, starting in verse 20, says, My son, pay attention to what I say. Turn your ear to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them and health to one's whole body. Above all else, he says, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Keep your mouth free of perversity. Keep corrupt talk far from your lips. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Give careful thought to the paths for your feet and be steadfast in all your ways. Do not turn to the right or the left. Keep your foot from evil. Sounds to me like the writer of Proverbs here is telling us that these are some good things to put into practice. Last week, we talked about how to recognize bad practices. This week, I want to talk to you about how to begin walking in good practices, walking in good practices. And today, specifically, I want to talk to you about guarding your heart, guarding your heart. Make a practice out of guarding your heart. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for your word. They are life. They are health to us. They are strength to our bones today. So for whoever is weary, what they need is your word. They need an encounter with your word. They need an encounter 
with your words. They need to hear from heaven. They don't need to hear the words of man. They need to hear the words of God. And so we're asking today that your word would be heard and felt and received in this place. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said amen. 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 Are you grateful for our worship team? I'm just, you guys are something else. The Bible really teaches us through the entire tone of Scripture that our heart is not something that is really static. It's always moving. Your heart is always moving towards someone or something. The Bible teaches us that because of this, we have to take responsibility for our heart. My heart is my responsibility. Because if I don't take responsibility for it, someone or something else will take responsibility for it. And so I have determined in my heart that I'm going to do what Scripture teaches me to do. And I'm going to do what Jesus taught me to do. I'm not going to be an irresponsible man, but I'm going to be responsible. And I'm going to build my house. I'm going to build my life. I'm going to build my heart on the rock. The Bible says in order to get to the rock, you have to dig deep. You've got to dig deep. If not, if you don't dig deep, life will toss you around. Situations like we've been experiencing over the past few months will throw you back and forth. When life comes at you like the flood comes at every life, it will destroy and harm and hurt you. But if you have built your life on the rock, the Bible teaches that even though the flood comes, it will not destroy you. I've experienced some destruction, but my life has not been completely destroyed. Is there anybody who's got the same testimony today? Some things have come at me and some things in my life have been harmed, but I have not been completely destroyed because my life is founded on the rock that is Jesus Christ. And so no matter what's come my way, I've been, I've, I've bent and I've even personally broken sometimes, but I've found this to be true, that even though the tree got knocked down, the roots were still there. Come on, even though that it broke and it broke into pieces sometimes, the root system was still there. There was still something to recover, still something that God could use to restore my life. Is there anybody in the room grateful for a God who, who can do that? I'm thankful for that. But your roots have to go down deep for that to happen. Your roots have to go deep. Colossians 2 and 7 says, Let your roots grow down into Him. And let your lives be built on Him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught. And you will overflow with thankfulness. I want to give you two thoughts about digging. First of all, when you dig, you have to know what you are going after. Because if you don't know what you're going after, you won't know what you're looking for. (laughs) And you won't know when you found it. So the rock very clearly throughout Scripture is Jesus. We're looking for Jesus. I'm not digging for a certain quality of life. Does that make sense to you? I'm not digging to the place where I get comfortable. I'm not digging to a place where I have enough money. I'm not digging 
to a place where I feel like I have arrived. I'm digging until I reach the rock that is Jesus Christ. And I'm not settling for less than the rock that is Jesus. You can have money. You can have success. But I'm telling you that settling for less than what God calls you for. Because if you're digging for money, you'll find money. If you're digging for relationships, you'll find relationships. But I'm not digging for any of that. I'm digging for the rock that is Jesus so that everything that I do in my life flows out of what my life is built upon. So when I dig, I've got to dig deep. And I don't just dig without aim. I dig with a purpose and for purpose. I have to define what I'm digging for or else I'll keep going back to the same well like the woman in John chapter 4 thinking that water is what I need when I actually need something different. The Bible tells us of a story in John chapter 4 of a woman who kept going to this well and she's gone to the well again and she's got her jar and this time when she gets to the well, Jesus is at the well and he's, he's been sitting at the well waiting for her. He's been sitting at the well waiting for her. And what I love about this picture is that Jesus will wait for you. Matter of fact, he will sit and wait for you. I love it because you serve a God who is so faithful that even after you went and you did what you did Friday night, he still sat on the edge of your bed Saturday morning looking at you saying, are you finished doing you yet? I love it because Jesus will wait at the well for us. Is there anybody in the room grateful today that you have a God who will sit and he will wait for you? He's patient. He doesn't want anybody to perish. So he, he will wait and he's waiting for this woman and she comes with her jar thinking she needs water and she meets Jesus and they begin to have this interaction and, and Jesus tells her, he tells her in John chapter 4 verses 13 and 14, he says, if you drink from this water, you're going to be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water that I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. She says, sir, please give me this water so I don't have to keep coming back to this well every day. And they keep talking and, and she thinks that she's having a natural conversation, but she's actually having a very spiritual conversation with Jesus. Can I, can I, can I tell you something? Even if you don't feel spiritual, go ahead and talk to God. And, and what you think is natural, Jesus will turn it into something very spiritual. I'm telling you, you don't have to be spiritual to approach Jesus. You can be natural. You can come to him with all of your issues and he will turn it into a spiritual solution. I'm telling you, he's, he's amazing like that. And so the Bible says she's, she's been talking and, and then Jesus finally goes, hey, listen, why don't you leave here? Why don't you go back and get your Get your, uh, get your husband. And uh, she's like, excuse me? So they have this conversation. Jesus is like, well, you know, okay, I, I know you're not married right now, but you've actually been married five times, and the guy you're living with now, can, can, I, can I say something to you? <laughs> Why you, you, you just, anytime, can I, can I explain something to you? Anytime I go, can I just say something to you? It's because God just dropped something in and now I have to say it because he revealed it to me. I don't, I don't want to say this, but I, I've got to tell you, again, we talk about bad practice. Can I talk to you about a bad practice called living together? 
I, I, I don't, I don't want to do this. <laughs> can, can I talk to you about this bad practice? Can I tell you that, that if you live together before you get married, in other words, if you practice being married before you're married, you are 40% more likely to get a divorce. I just wanted to throw that. There are some bad practices. So if you think you have to test the milk before you buy the cow, That's a, bad, that's a bad practice. Just want to encourage you in the Lord today. <laughs> so she's, she's living with this guy, and, and so she's, she's totally blown away. Watch what happens. She comes to the well for water. The Bible says specific, specifically in John 4, I think it's around verse 28, it says that she leaves her water jar. What she came to do, she didn't even do. She forgot what she even came there for. And she runs back into town and tells everybody, she says, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Think about that. She thought she was looking for one thing. She found out what she was actually looking for. And when she found what she was actually looking for, she left the other thing. See, this is why you have to define what you are looking for. Because if not, you'll just dig and dig and dig and dig and you'll settle for something less than the water Jesus wants to give you. Come on, somebody. When you are not called to settle. Here's how I know most of us struggle with defining what we're after. It's this thing called envy. Now, envy, just a quick definition of envy. Envy is feeling discontentment or anger Because you want what someone else has. Now here's why you have to, when you go digging, you have to define what you're digging for. Here's here's why. Because when you don't know what belongs to you, you will settle for a life of envy. What What I mean by that is you'll start to discover the more you walk with God that basically every sin finds its root in unbelief. A disbelief that God has something better than what I'm experiencing right now. A disbelief that God has something for me that belongs to me. And so what do we do? Because we are jealous of what other people have. We settle for a life of envy. And watch this. Most of us are frustrated because we want what somebody else has or we have what belongs to somebody else. Some of you have built a life that isn't God's life for you. It's God's life for somebody else. But because you didn't know who you were, you settled for somebody else's life. And if you just go digging and you don't know what you're digging for, you will constantly feel discontent and anger, dissatisfaction. Why? Because you have a life, but it doesn't belong to you. Okay, we're going somewhere. We're getting out of this desert, believe me. So when I dig, first of all, I have to define what I'm going after. I'm first of all, and above all else, I'm going after Jesus. I'm going after Jesus because Jesus can define for me what relationships look like. 
I'm going after Jesus because Jesus can define for me what success for me looks like. Because if I don't go after Jesus and I go after success, then I'll look at other people's measure of success, determination of success, definition of success, and I'll make that the definition of success for me. And so if I'm not careful, I'll look at my parents and I'll dig for what my parents have instead of what God has for me. If I'm not careful, I'll dig for what my neighbor has instead of what God has for me. And I don't want what my neighbor has. I don't want what my parents have. I don't, know, I don't want what my friends have because there is a grace on their life to have what they have. And God only graces you and I to carry what he designed for us to carry. So the reason we feel so discontent, so dissatisfied with life is because we're not digging for Jesus. We're digging for success. We're digging for money. We're digging for relationships, we're digging for a job, we're digging for, and none of that is the aim. The aim is Jesus. I dig to get to the rock. In the Old Testament, the people of God, they were surrounded by a body of water, but they couldn't drink from it because the water was bitter. And the Bible says that God points out a piece of wood to Moses and he says, throw the wood on the water. And when Moses throws the wood on the water, the Bible says that that bitter water that they couldn't drink became sweet water. This is a prophetic picture of what life looks like without the cross, without Jesus. Life is bitter without Jesus. It has no meaning without Jesus. It's not drinkable without Jesus. It's not digestible without Jesus. It, it's, it's disgusting. Without Jesus. The picture is, is that Moses puts the wood on the water and the water becomes sweet. See, what happens when you dig for Jesus is you find out that the cross of Jesus makes all of this bitter stuff in life make sense. So you have to put the cross of Jesus on it. You have to focus on Jesus. There, there, there are so many people in this room that are, that are Christians. You, you gave your life to Jesus. But here's the problem. You, you added him to your life like you added a picture to the wall of your house. He's just an addition. He, he's, he's, he's just something that you sit on the dining room table to make it look more presentable. He's just something that, that, that you put on the shelf to, to bring attention to the shelf. He's, he's just something that's in addition to your life. He, he's just another thing among other things in your life. But Jesus cannot really help you being an ornament on your tree or a picture on your wall or a book on your shelf. He has to be the central focus of your entire life or your life won't feel like it matters. So what do I have to do? <laughs> Here's a key. I have to do consistently what other people do occasionally. 
Jesus said, if any man wants to follow me, he must deny himself daily. Take up his cross and follow me. Following Jesus is not a one-time decision. It's a daily decision. So I have to daily do what other people do occasionally. Most people who call themselves Christians, they, they follow Jesus on Sunday. Maybe even on Monday. Definitely not Wednesday. Not hump day. I'm done with church on Wednesday. But it's a, day, it's a daily practice. It's, it's a daily practice. Listen, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 24, 25. The Apostle Paul says this. He says, I run with purpose in every single step. This is something very few people do. Listen, I don't know who said this. Years ago I heard this. Everybody ends up somewhere, but not everybody ends up there on purpose. Why? Because we overestimate the big decisions in our life and underestimate the small ones. Big decision. Who am I going to marry? Small decision. Am I going to be a person worth marrying? Because that's not just a one-time decision. I have to make that decision every single day. So he says, I run with purpose in every step. Every step. <laughs> what, about, what about every other? <laughs> why, is it, why is this so important? Because our small decisions are actually a reflection of what we believe about our lives. Who we think we are is reflected in our choices. The choice you made to go out with that person is a reflection of who you think you are. Choice you made to take that job is a reflection of who you think you are. The choice you make to put up with their abuse is a reflection of who you think you are. And if you don't think you're any better than a dog, you'll date dogs. People are like, why, do I, why am I so attracted to this type of person? <laughs> can, I, can, can I tell you? It's a reflection of who you think you are. goodness I'm, why <laughs> I want him to like me <laughs> if I don't know who I am my choices are going to look like I don't so two things I dig deep for the rock second thing I dig consistently I dig deep and I dig consistently. 
I dig deep, and I dig, I dig deep, and I dig daily. Let me give you four very small decisions that have extremely high consequences for your daily life. And I'll let you go. I'll leave you alone. You can get rid of me and you can walk out these doors and you don't have to come back for another week. And you can wait really late and just blame it on the fact that registration was filled up and you couldn't make it, okay? Four very small but very consequential decisions. First decision, I am a learner. Something I've found out about learning is very, it's very important to me is that learning keeps me from running in circles. So the children of God wasted time walking in circles in a desert for years to get to somewhere that was only a few days away. Why is it they refused to learn? And when you don't learn, you walk in circles. And here's the problem with walking in circles is, is, is because very rare are the people who, who, who make mistakes in life and go, you know what, that's my bad. That's my fault. Even the first man and woman didn't know how to do it. Adam eats from the fruit of the tree. God says, What's happened? Adam says, I mean, I mean, this, this girl, you gave her to me like I was good. Everything was fine. I was just chilling naked in the jungle. And this naked chick showed up and she changed everything. <laughs> it's her fault. So very rare are the people who when confronted with their issues, want to take responsibility for their issues. So to change this, (laughs) this trap you're in, you have to look at your life and go, I'm the result of my decisions. So I take responsibility for those decisions. And now instead of Blaming people for my bad decisions. I'm going to learn from my, da- my bad decisions. And I'm going to stop walking in circles. May 2020 be the year that you stop walking in circles. That you start to learn from your mistakes. And you stop work. How, 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 do I, how, do I, how do I take the position of a learner? First thing you have to do. Obey God immediately. Because this is, what you have to, this is what you have to get your mind settled in. God knows better than I know. And if God knows better than I know, whatever he's asking me to do is better than whatever I'm thinking about doing. But if I'm not a learner, I will think that I know better than God himself. Someone will come to me and they will confront me with the scripture. But... But man, I mean, but it's, but, but, but you don't know my situation. You don't know my problem. You don't know what I'm going through, what God's word says. But, but I know God's word says that, but this is what I'm dealing with. I, I know God's word is absolute truth. 
But you, it, 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 I, it doesn't really apply to my situation. Oh, yeah, it does way more than you think it does. And so when your opinion comes up into contact with God's word, if you're a learner, you say, God, you're right. I'm wrong. No matter how much I feel this, no matter how much my emotions are telling me this, if it's contrary to what your word says, then I, I'm wrong. I'm going to learn. <laughs> so I obey immediately. Why? Why should I obey? Obedience is very simply at the base of it all. It's an act of worship. It's saying, God, you are greater than me. You're smarter than me. You're more awesome than me. Your mind is above mine. Your thoughts are above mine. So I'm going to obey you. And obedience is an act of worship. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey me. I'm a learner, not only if I obey, but I'm a learner when I don't. And conviction comes when I'm able to say, you know what? I did the wrong thing. Now let me start doing the right thing. The, the Bible says something so powerful about David. David is such an incredible example because David lived this incredible life, but he made some of the most dramatic, horrific decisions a person could possibly make. But he kept rebounding. How in the world did this guy who made these terrible decisions keep rebounding? He was a learner. As soon as he found out he was wrong, he would repent. He would get things right with God and he would be like, I'm not going that way again. And very rarely do you see David make the same mistake twice. Oh, he made some big time mistakes. But he didn't make the same mistake over and over and over and over again. He responded to conviction. In 1 Samuel 24 and 5, the Bible says that David had an opportunity. Saul, who was the king at the time, was trying to kill David. And David actually had an opportunity to, to kill Saul. Saul was going to the bathroom. Nobody was around him. And David comes in. And the Bible says that David cuts off a piece of his garment. And he holds this kind of over Saul's head as if, I could have killed you, but I didn't. <laughs> and I love this because this is how most people live life. Like, I could have done worse, but look. I, I could have ran that guy off the road, but I just flipped him off. I could have killed him, but I just thought about it. <laughs> so he's holding this over Saul's head as if, look at me, I'm the good guy. And God says, no, no, no. And the Bible says that David was dealt with God about that. And the Bible says that his heart was pierced. Literally, his heart struck him because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Here's the thing about conviction. Conviction just doesn't, doesn't just come when you do the big bad stuff. Conviction comes when you do those little things that you thought were good. But there's actually a better way. Think about it. God convicts you not always because that's just so wrong. No. Sometimes God convicts you because he's trying to show you a better way of doing things. Second small decision I make. I make a decision to be grateful but never settle. Daily. 
These are daily decisions. I wake up and I make this. I'm a learner today. I'm a learner. I'm grateful, but I refuse to settle. And please never confuse contentment and complacency. Some people are not stuck in this room today. They just stopped. They just, they just stopped. Heard someone say years ago that the pain of falling short doesn't compare to the pain of stopping short. Did you catch that? There's a difference between contentment and complacency. I would rather experience the pain of falling on my face than the pain of knowing I never even tried. So I'm grateful for my life, but I never settle. Proverbs 13 and 4 says, The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. Make sure that this pandemic does not create bad practices and habits in your life like not coming to church. Well, we're living in a new day. It's church online. No, I'm sorry. That's not, that's not the new normal. The Bible actually says that in the last days, people are going to do, do this thing. They're going to stop gathering. It's going to be a sign of the end that people don't want to gather. But the Bible tells us that as we see the day approaching, we should gather more and more. It says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together as some do. But as you see the day approaching, gather more often, not less, more. So you got to be very careful that when you're in a situation like you're in right now, that you don't develop bad habits that are, that are at one point a necessity, but as soon as they're not a necessity anymore, you continue in them because you developed a bad habit. third thing I've got to do. I have to make a decision that I am committed to progress and not achievement. I'm committed to progress and not achievement. See, because if I know who I am, I can recognize that my life is in a process. And so I will live my life committed to progress, not achievement. Obviously, we have goals. Obviously, we have things that we want to achieve. Obviously, we, we want to be here. Here's the problem. If you're committed to your goal, but not the process, you will never get to your goal. So you have to be committed to progress. I tell people sometimes when we're playing golf together and they hit a bad shot, but it goes in front of them, I'm like, listen, forward progress. It's progress. It went, it's, it, it might have only gone 10 yards <laughs> and you needed 400, but <laughs> it's 10 yards. And so we're going to celebrate progress. You need to get better. See, because in life, sometimes we only celebrate achievement. We only celebrate when we reach the prize, when we get to the thing we've been dreaming about. But most of our life is spent not in the thing we've been dreaming about, but in the process, getting to the thing we've been dreaming about. So we have to learn how to celebrate progress. You need to get happy over the fact that you didn't run them off the road today. 
Because yesterday you would have. This is progress for me, God. (laughs) Some of you are in church for the first time today. And you've been so afraid of COVID-19 that you wouldn't go to anything like this. And you're here today. And you've gotten over that fear. And maybe you're not all the way here. Maybe you're not all the way in the room today. Maybe you're looking around at everybody. And anybody who sneezes or coughs, you're like putting up blocks. And you're pleading the blood of Jesus all over right now. But you're in the room. This is progress. Maybe you've got anxiety about being in relationships and being around people. And and, and maybe you decide, hey, I'm going to go out and I'm going to spend some time with people. Oh, oh. And you do it. You got to get home and you got to celebrate. You got to have a dance party when you recognize progress in your life. Listen, I'm committed not to the achievement. I'm committed to committed to progress. I, I just I just want to be better tomorrow than I am today. I'm not trying to be everything that God called me to be by tomorrow. I just want to I just want to be a little bit nicer tomorrow than I was today. I want to be more patient tomorrow than I was today. Come on, man. So I'm committed to forethought. I have to make this commitment that I, I, this is daily. I'm designed to bring value to other people. This is what I'm designed to do. And my greatest fulfillment in life will not come from what happens to me, but from what I make happen for others. That's where I'll be fulfilled. That's the greatest fulfillment I'll have in this life. Not in what happens to me or the money I get or the success I have, but in my ability to help others achieve what God has created them to do. My greatest joy in preaching is not your response, although I love your response. And I love when you help me and I love when you encourage me and thank you for the text messages and the the emails of encouragement and and all of that. I love it. So keep that coming. But that's not why I do this. I do this so that when I look out and I see the lights come on in somebody's eyes, like, or I see somebody stand or I see somebody come to an altar. I see a life changed or I hear about a marriage that came back together. I hear about someone who got free from their addiction. Like those are the things that, that make me do this every single week. Because my life is designed to help others. If, if you're at the center of all of your dreams, your arrogance is gonna infect your perspective. No wonder you don't like your life because it's all about you. <laughs> well, we'll just keep moving forward there. <laughs> so this is what I do. Stand on your feet. I gotta let you go. It's 1032. We got another service coming in. So this is what I do. I've, if I'm designed for others, then I evaluate the condition of my heart through the lens of service. I evaluate the condition of my heart through the lens of service. That's my heart moving towards others. My heart is not static, but it, be, it can become stagnant. And even stagnant water is breeding ground for mosquitoes. Mosquitoes feed off of your blood, which is the source of your life. 
Some of you right now, you're so selfish, you're stagnant. You have no life because stagnant water is breeding ground for mosquitoes. A stagnant heart will attract mosquito-like people. So what you have to do to keep your heart away from mosquitoes, you have to move towards others in acts of service. And I evaluate my heart through the lens of how well am I serving other people and not myself. Even the Bible says about Jesus, he did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Amen. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for your words. We're here today because we want to build our lives on your words. We're here today because we believe your words can change our lives. We believe that your words can set the direction, set the path of our lives. You can take us from the crooked path and put us on a straight path. You can take us from a life of frustration and anger and bitterness and give us a life that is sweet and whole and healthy. We believe that in Jesus' name. Not according to our circumstances, but according to what our life is rooted and grounded in. We are rooted and we are grounded in Christ. We give you glory and honor for that. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said amen. Amen, amen. Amen. Listen, as you're leaving today, thank you so much for being here. And if you're here today and you need prayer for anything, we would love... Uh, to talk to you and pray with you. You can text us or you can email us or you can actually, if you need prayer, you can go out these doors and you can go talk to someone in the hub today. We'd love to, we'd love to meet you, love to talk to you. But if you're just leaving the service, can you make sure you go out these two front exits or you go out this back exit and turn to the left so we can keep it clear for those coming into the second service. I love you. Thank you for being here today. God bless you. We'll see you very soon.